Hello and welcome back to Hindsight is 50-50. I'm the host J-Rod with my co-host, the ORG old retired guy. Dad, how you doing? I'm doing pretty good. Um, we had yesterday with um, one of your nieces and one of your nephews. We had Juliana and Jackson yesterday. And I got to tell you, I mean, we're old, you know. It's like, I'm glad I don't have to raise kids, you know, like the age of your kids or Jacob's kids or Joe's kids. But, you know, to have them for a day, even though it's tiring, my gosh, <laughs> it doesn't take a lot to amuse me, man. They're such <laughs> interesting little people. Well, it really is. And, and, you know, they, it, it, it really is fun and they are. And, you know, we just, uh, it, it's, I have such a good time. I I obviously have a good time with your boys. I have a good time with all of them, uh, all the grandkids. But you know, we we see them most. We'd actually, you know, we had missed a couple of Tuesdays. We usually have them every Tuesday, and then, you know, I think Jennifer had some time off work or whatever. It just worked out that we didn't see them for two weeks. So. I was kind of, I was really anxious to see them, <laughs> but oh my God, you know, and if you, you know this for a fact, you know, I'm telling the truth. If you get this old man to get down on the floor, he must be having a good time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Cause you know, getting down's easy. Getting back up sometimes isn't so easy, but yeah, we, we just had a good time. And then, you know, with, Free agency. I mean, today's the first official day. But, you know, since we last talked about the NFL, I mean, there's just been a, you know, a free agent frenzy. The Bears, we, we thought there could be some action. Sometimes there is. Um, and the Bears traded that number one pick. They traded it to Carolina for Carolina's ninth pick a first-round pick next year, two other picks, and D.J. Moore, a wide receiver, who he's the guy who, you know, threw the ball in the stands and, <laughs> and they missed the extra point. It went into overtime, and Carolina lost to the Falcons. We talk, but he's a very talented receiver. And so I thought the Bears made a haul. I don't know what... You know, you brought up the Derek Carr move. And, I mean, he signed with the Saints. Yeah, and, which I thought was interesting. I mean, I think he's a better quarterback than what we know. I just think he was in a on one of those teams that sucks the life out of players. It could be. And then the Raiders signed Jimmy Garoppolo. So, did they really upgrade? I mean, I mean, I think they just sealed the deal that they're not going to be a contender. I mean, I you know, and and uh, Garoppolo is a core pro quarterback, and I'm you know I like him and everything, 
but it's like I don't know that they made an upgrade. I'm with you. I think but when you don't skip a beat with Mr. Irrelevant. Well, yeah. Yeah. But I, I'm with you. I, I think that Derek Carr was kind of certainly was underappreciated. I mean, and but I, you know, like he wasn't for me, Josh McDaniels guy. Jimmy Garoppolo is, by the way, they were together in New England. But with with like Garoppolo and the 49ers, it's like I I think that just proved that he's eh. But when Brock Purdy comes in, and, and you know I I got love for Brock Purdy, but when sure. Mister Irrelevant comes in, and you don't skip a beat, it's like I think we just proved that I. You know, this offense is a Ferrari, okay? I'm not saying we're all professional drivers, but any of us can drive a Ferrari fast. And that's what Brock Purdy did. I mean, it's a fast-ass offense that's here. It's built for scoring points with weapons all over the field. And he got it done, and it's like... uh, So what's Garoppolo without all of these weapons... I wasn't impressed enough from the bit that he plays to to really give a shit whether he stayed or go or goes and I, the Raiders picking him up it's I don't know it, it's just one of those things where it, it doesn't make sense to me that it's committing to a guy because you're afraid to take a chance on someone new and you know and the Raiders traded the the a good tight end that Waller but he's been injured the last couple of years. But he's a really good tight end now. I think he's thirty, and the Gi- they traded him to the Giants. But and I don't know. You know, it's just so hard to tell. I mean, these guys are are such great athletes, and I think the level of competition is so stiff in that league. It's really hard for a. a, a most fans, including myself, to adequately judge where a guy is. Like, did that Waller guy, is he done? I don't know. I I know he was really good, and he's had some injury troubles. Well, is that his MO now? Is that what it's going to be? Is he going to play half a year, you know, each year? Or do we give you a year to heal up, and maybe you got three more, and then you're done closer to 35? Like, yeah, and and so and then you know the Cowboys uh, they traded they got Stefan Gilmore. I think all of this stuff and and there's a, the Bears signed a bunch of people and big money. That Edmonds, the linebacker from Buffalo, the Bears signed him to a great big deal, like four years, seventy two million. And you know that's one of those positions. That there are guys, linebackers, usually edge rushers slash linebackers that you know are worth 18 million a year and get paid that much but it's rare to see a light linebacker that's a middle of the field linebacker which he is i think he could play any linebacker spot but he's not what you'd call a blitzing guy but you know the jags did that last year we thought they overpaid for a lot well guess what they got a new coach and they made the playoffs I think the Bears improved themselves a lot by getting some of these people they got, but I also think they overpaid. So then, I was, go ahead, go ahead. I, I, well, the reason I had Derek Carr on the list uh, going to the Saints 
is because last week you and I had talked about Lamar Jackson. Yeah. And he wants, or supposedly wants, 250, and now he's come out and said that the lowball offer, rumor bullshit's not true, all this stuff. And I, I don't know if he's trying to save face or that's real or whatever. But, right. again, for a standard, typical pro offense, Derek Carr, to me, is more fit than Lamar Jackson. Lamar Jackson's a hell of an athlete, but you have to rebuild your offense around him, and you might not have the tools to do that. As to where Derek Carr can come in, learn your offense, and be a pro-style quarterback, and he signed for $150 million for over four years for a hundred of that guaranteed. Yeah. Does that... At least in my mind, it does. But I'm curious in yours: Does that devalue Lamar Jackson? Because I'm like, man, if I could get Derek Carr for 150, I ain't paying you 250. Get the fuck out. Well, and I don't. I mean, I know he has people. Okay, I don't think Lamar's fielding all the phone calls himself. But I also think, at least based on what we're told, that he's certainly at the head of any negotiations. Now, is that the, does he have his, like, I, I think I brought it up. Does he have his mom's pastor doing the negotiations, the pastor right. of the church? <laughs> does he have the president of the lo- the local bank where he grew up, you know, doing his, I don't know. He's got somebody. But when... A guy doesn't have a legit agent. I think it hurts him. And I think it, it it really does hurt him. It not only hurts him in the public view, but I think it hurts the kind of money he gets. Because, you know, you're, you go into a meeting and you're trying to accomplish a goal. Negotiation is a big part of anything. And you better be ready because I'll guarantee you the Ravens have good people on their side handling this as most, and even if they're not good, I'd say this, most NFL teams, if not all of them, have very smart people. They may not be great negotiators, but they're very smart people. So it's almost like, I can't go out there and get in a quarterback competition with Lamar Jackson, but I could damn sure sit down at a negotiating table with him. Well, I'm I just, un- but I, like, by that. we, you're getting to a point though where we've seen uh, the the contracts go astronomical, and oh, yeah. them not be worthwhile, um, and it's like, if if I look around in recent history. Deshaun Watson or um, Russell Wilson or let's just say a number above 200 mil for Lamar Jackson. I'll take Derek Carr over all of those for 150. Well, and, and, and I'm not saying you're wrong. Not at all. Like I said, I think he was really underappreciated in, in Vegas. I mean, if Lamar wants and- 180, that's different. But no, I get that. At 250 million, it's like, 
I'll get the same wins per season out of Derek Carr. I might not get the same rushing production or whatever, but I also won't have to rebuild my entire offense. You put a good team around him, and and Jared Goff. I mean, he can Alliance throw the ball with Jared Goff. You get him a good line, and you get him a few weapons. Jared Goff is just fine. Now you put him behind a shitty line with no weapons. He's gonna look like hell. But this year, they proved it. And I mean, and I think, again, with his performance, now they, we need a backup. And certain, I see Matt Ryan just got released by the Colts. Matt, you want to hold a clipboard? You want to keep your mouth shut? I'll take you as my backup right now. I'll sign you to a one-year deal with incentives. But you're not the starter. You're the backup. If he gets hurt, you're in. And I say that only because in, in Matt Ryan didn't look very good last year. It looked like he looked like one of those guys that had kind of lost it all at once. But he's a veteran. He knows how to take a snap. He knows how to hand the ball off. And I he think, knows how to manage a game. Yes. And it, and if your starting QB gets hurt for an extended period, most of the time, Brock Purdy excluded. Right. You're in you're in a world of hurt anyway. Well, you're looking for a guy to stop the bleeding. That's, yeah. You're not looking yeah. to win out. You're looking for a guy to stop the bleeding. And Finish so a game or two, maybe have to play three or four games, and, and if you can split those games, you, well, you feel good about like, it. If someone like Matt Ryan, too, gets a chance to rest, and that's what I, I think this happened to Drew Brees, something whether it's your shoulder, your elbow, and I think with Breeze it was his shoulder. But whether it's your shoulder, something gets tweaked, injured, hurt the wrong way, uh, like something that's going to take a long time to recover. But because you're a professional athlete and you're used to sucking it up and you play through injuries, you you keep slinging it, and now you're not only just doing permanent damage, but you... You're going to get to a point whether it's the feeling that's not there or the coordination's not fully there or some, there's a click or a hitch in your throw. And, and it just seems like you, you kind of, like you said, you lose it all at once. Well, I think with Breeze, had someone made him play backup for a year or two and allowed that to heal, we'd probably see that Drew Breeze could throw the shit out of the ball today. Now, maybe he doesn't want to play anymore, and that's fine. But with Matt Ryan, I think the same thing. If you can sign him as a backup, it's like, yeah, when you're that good for that long, and I've never thought he was the greatest, but he is consistent. When yeah, you're that good, good for that long, I, I really don't think it's possible to lose it all at once unless there's an absolutely devastating injury. So to me, if they give him a chance to be the backup and he's allowed to nurse whatever the problem is that maybe he doesn't want to tell people about because he's an older QB towards the end of his career or whatever, if he gets a chance to let that heal, I feel like, man, if he had to come in end of the season or a year from now or whatever the case is, we'd see a lot better Matt Ryan than what we've seen recently. Jared? Going right along with what you're saying, and and I'm in total agreement with you about things like that. Baker Mayfield, I think, is his own worst enemy. I think he's got a big mouth. I think that's exactly what happened to Baker Mayfield, is that he played hurt for a year and a half, 
and he wasn't anywhere near what he had been. And it was a shoulder injury. That guy's still young. Now, I'm not sure I like his attitude. I'm not sure he fits with the Lions culture. I'm not sure of that because I think he's a bit of a locker room lawyer. I think he's a prima donna. You know, he did all the commercials and all that when he was with the Browns. But I think that's exactly what happened to him is that he got hurt. He played through it. He sucked. He was still hurt at the beginning of last year when he got traded to Carolina. But by the time they benched him, and then eventually he signed with the Rams, or I think they released him and he signed with the Rams. He was starting to get healthy again. So I, I'm in 100% agreement with your theory about that. I really, I think that's accurate. But again, Matt Ryan's going to be out there. Baker Mayfield's out there. I mean, there are QBs. Darnold just signed, I think, with the Niners. And again, you got a guy who his career hasn't turned out like he'd hoped, and he's not living up to where he was picked. But he's a guy who's got a lot of pro experience. He knows how to take a snap, and he's young. So I don't think all of a sudden he forgot how to be a football player. I think that's a scenario where uh, Brock Purdy's going to kind of get screwed by the machine. It could. It could happen. I, I think he's going to get, you know, chewed up and spit out, not because of his ability, but because they're going to see what he did last year. And I, and I mean, any good GM would consider this, but a lot of them are going to do it anyways, whether it's the good decision or not. But it's like they're going to look at him and go, man, we had this guy do this well with our team. Let's right. find someone with better measurables. Right. Well, and and they invested a lot of money in Trey Lance, who hadn't proved he could do anything yet. And they traded up to get him. And he's had two years in the league, one year sitting, last year injured. I I really feel like the NFL is approaching a point where teams are panicking oh, that there are no legacy quarterbacks. It's instant gratification. It used well, to be. we're blindly rewarding them, but it's like go back go back a decade and you and I could talk about 10 or 15 quarterbacks that are the staple of the NFL right now you've got Stafford who's going to be hit or miss based off of injury on the bubble in my mind you've got yeah. you've got Mahomes is a staple Obviously, Brady's gone now. You've got Rodgers, who's a staple, and, and you've got um, the the uh, Josh Allen, who's again. I think he's a staple because of how good their team's been consistently. But his actual skill, I think, is in question for some people, um, or or how good he actually is is still somewhat unknown. But who are the other staples? I mean. Well, I think there's guys in waiting, but I don't think they're staples yet. Like, I think Justin Herbert's really good. I think okay. now he could be in the in a bad spot. That could, I don't know. Well, and you hope, but like he, we, I think we all thought Russell Wilson was going to be around for a while after his hot start. Here's my thing about Russell Wilson, and he had a he had eight or nine good years. I don't know if Russell Wilson's done. I, I'm saying this. 
if he can be fixed, Sean Payton will figure out how. So we're going to find out real quick if Russell Wilson is done or if last year was an anomaly. And I know his stats had gone down in previous years, and it's because the Seahawks, I think, were depending on him so much. Well, and and I'm I do not... think he's a prima donna. And, and I, I think For there's sure. a lot, again, based on everything you hear. And I don't, I don't know that's true. I'm like everybody else. I go by what I hear. Let's ride. <laughs> but I think that, I think if, uh, if anybody can fix him, it's Sean Payton, you know, we juicy talk, fruit, you, man. But, but, you, but with <laughs> Russell Wilson, like, like I wouldn't deny that he's had a good career considering the average life of an NFL player and the fact that he was good for eight or nine years. But that that to me is is a conversation set aside because I'm talking about franchises used to being having a guy for a decade plus, and it, we don't have any of those right now. You're gonna Patrick Mahomes is not gonna no. get traded. No, that would be insane if he got traded. No, Aaron Rodgers very well might. <laughs> Um, but it, it just, it, You're, it's Aaron mind boggling because the amount it, of quarterbacks that are, you know, the, the heart and soul of a team, the identity of a team, it's right. not there. And it's like so many teams are going through, if you want to call it an identity crisis or whatever, but, a uh, QB frenzy or panic. And they're willing to sign people to ridiculous deals without a production guarantee or any proof of previous production. And I think everybody's just looking for the next guy because we don't know why we're going through this kind of drought. I mean, you know, there, there was a time where you had Peyton and Drew Brees and Brady and, and, and well, uh, Favre and everybody else. And I, and but I like, do think it's instant gratification in, in, you know, in the Favre era and prior to that. And I'm talking about at the beginning of his NFL career, Brett Favre. Okay. It was different. Like even if you drafted a quarterback number one, he you wouldn't ex you didn't expect him to play in year one. That happened rarely. Marino did it. I can't very, believe we do that now either. But very few guys did that. Now, when everybody goes nuts and trading up and doing all this to get their guy. Which I I believe that's what the Bears did, the be, when they made the trade with the Panthers, the Panthers wanted their pick of the quarterbacks, so they moved to number one. So now they got their pick of the quarterbacks, and I think they're going to take Anthony Richardson because he blew up the combine. He's got, you know, his ceiling is ridiculously high. But in days gone by, in lots of my football life that I could watch it and follow it and pay attention to what happened. When you drafted a rookie quarterback, you he rarely played the first year, sometimes not even two years. Now, when you invest all this draft capital in getting a high pick, it's almost like if he's not on the field week one, he's on the, wheel, on the field by week four. Because, you know, they said when John Lynch and Kyle Shanahan agreed to go to San Francisco to go to the 49ers. And that was a package deal. They decided on that together. 
Cal Shanahan had a great career as an assistant. He was doing just fine. He was going to get a head coaching job someday. And then John Lynch was doing very well as a broadcaster. When they went there, it's like, we're getting a six-year deal, and we're attached at the hip. That's exactly what happened with Dan Campbell and Brad Holmes. They both have six-year deals because you got to give us a long enough time to get to, if we got to tear it down, we tear it down, and then we rebuild it how we want it. And you don't do that in one year or two years. It takes three or four or five. And so, but you're right. I mean, they, they, they throw these guys out there right away. And, you know, Trey Lance in San Francisco, they traded up to get him, and they had Jimmy Garoppolo on the roster who had taken him to the playoffs. But, I mean, we look at so many of the greats, and it's like, well, how do we forget this whole mentor thing? I mean, I know I, I, Brady I, wasn't I, as long as others, but Brady had Bledsoe before him. Steve yes. Young had Montana. It, it, um, Aaron Rodgers had Favre. It's like... So oh, many yeah. of our great QBs had the mentoring program, and we've gone away from it. I it's don't... instant gratification. It's like win now, baby, and you get the you pay good money for the big shiny object. He better be on the field, real fast. Yeah, and and recent history shows us the big shiny object doesn't fucking matter because we'll take a veteran QB, trade him to another team, and then he'll win a Super Bowl. Well, like Brady, like Stafford, like Peyton, <laughs> like. <laughs> Like That's Jared Goff, he's, yeah. he hasn't won a Super Bowl, but he proved he's pretty damn good. Right. It's like, no, I'm with you. No, we, it's you know, like, come on. You, you've mentioned Aaron Rodgers a couple times. Again, what I read is that, you know, this thing with the Jets, everybody says, you know, this is going to happen. You know, between Aaron Rodgers, and I don't know whose fault it is, and it doesn't matter, but between him and the Packers, they're backed into a corner. And I don't know who's which side's more guilty, but Aaron Rodgers is going to get paid almost sixty million dollars next year. I was, I and was that, thinking about that their situation, man. I was thinking about their situation, and obviously, you know, he's had his media hiccups and everything else in the past. But <clears throat> I think what put them where they are now is the COVID thing. Because he got crucified over over the vaccination status, in which he's allergic to the vaccine, and I think it was Johnson and Johnson was the only one he could take, and it got pulled off because of blood clotting, and so he went through a separate immunization process in which he took an oral version of the virus in microdoses, to where it would be the same as if he if he uh, got the vaccine. Okay. And he just said, if people ask me, I'm going to tell them I'm immunized. And if they decide to have a follow-up, I'll answer the follow-up. If they don't and they take that as vaccinated or whatever, that's how they take it. I, you know, that's how I'm going to play it. And that's what he did. And the the issue with the Packers was that during COVID protocol, all the vaccinated players could go out and do whatever they wanted. They could all work out as a team. They could all do kinds of stuff as long as they tested uh, once every two weeks and then eventually uh, once every week. And then all of the non-vaccinated players 
We're not allowed to go outside at home or at away games. They were not allowed to participate in groups like bigger than three when they were training. So like practice was all together, but when they went to work out, they had to work out on the side and they separated these players by the colors of wristbands. So I think it was vaccinated were green and unvaccinated were yellow. The entire facility knew he wasn't vaccinated. He was yellow the entire time. He had to have all of that separation, couldn't go out, all this stuff. And then when the media finds out that he went through an immunization process and didn't actually get vaccinated and they start crucifying him, Green Bay didn't back him at all. And they, they like acted like they didn't know and let him take the fall. And he's like, everyone in the facility knew. So when the media sat here and says, I put people at risk, I put them in danger. He's like, everybody knew. I was wearing a mask, I I was doing the workouts by myself, and I was wearing the wristband that says I was not vaccinated. And I think that really put like a a rift between them that, that, you know, because he's not going to get an apology from a GM or whatever, I I think that's one of those sores that's going to fester and never go away. And, And it just seems like he's ready to move on. Well, and I don't blame him. And 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 it does. Like I said, I don't know who screwed it up more. I don't think he's done himself a lot of favors in the no. media, particularly lately. I'm not a Rogers fanboy either. <laughs> no, I I agree with you about Gutekunst, the GM. There's clearly the whole thing with Jordan Love. They desperately needed receiving talent to help Aaron Rodgers, and this was like three years ago. Well, the Packers move up in the first round and take Jordan Love, who again blew up the combine or or his pro day or whatever. And everybody knew he was a good prospect. But so in the first round, they take him. In the second round, they get a big bruising running back. Well, at that time, they had both Jamal Williams and Aaron Jones, both pretty good backs. And they took this uh, A.J. Dillon, I think, out of Boston College. Big bruising back, good back, but it's like hammer. And he and I needed all this. I needed receiving help, and this is what you did. And I think that pissed him off. And you know what? I don't blame him a bit. But supposedly, you know, because again, everybody's talking about this thing with the Jets is happening. It hasn't officially happened yet. At least when we went on the air, it hadn't happened today. But um that he went to the Jets, and when he was talking to the Jets about the trade, he just said, well, I need some people with me. Randall Cobb, who is a free agent, who he's played with for a couple different times, Mercedes Lewis, an older tight end, really good blocker, and catches it when you throw it to him, and Alan Lazard. And that was his wish list for before before you make this trade for me. And they already signed, they signed Lazard yesterday. So yeah, it seems like they're getting after it. They're posturing for sure. And all these things. Yeah. It it isn't done yet, but it leads you to believe that it's going to be. Was Mercedes Lewis originally from the Jags? He did play for the Jags. I remember him when he played at UCLA and he was really, you know, he was, he's a big tight end. Yeah. Like he, I got to believe. He's six six and about two seventy, a really good blocker, and uh, and like I said, he's not like got downfield speed, 
But if you throw him the ball, he catches it. So I mean, he's, if he's Gronk can get open, <laughs> this guy can get open. <laughs> well, and again, he's a supplementary guy, and he's a great. He's like having another tackle on the field when he's out there because he's that good of a blocker. But you know, when all this stuff is going on, and and we talked about it, you know, it's for anybody who's even remotely interested in the NFL draft, which you know how I am about it. Right. This is a great time of year because there's a lot of things moving. The Lions, I'm just, I continue to be impressed with the things they've done. Yesterday, they just signed this Montgomery, the back out of uh, Chicago. He's young. I don't think they overpaid. That makes me think that maybe the, the, them and Jamal Williams are too far apart on a new contract when they sign this David Montgomery. Well, like I said, it is a good back and a really good receiving back too. But then they get they pick up two corners, both young, both can play. One was hurt last year, but he's young, so hopefully he's better. And this just kind of and then when the Panthers make this trade, so now you know a quarterback's going one. Chicago wasn't going to take a quarterback at one. They ju- they got Justin Fields. He's only two years in the league, and they like him. For some so reason, all of these all of these things are. I mean, they lead up to some potentially really good things for our Detroit Lions, and, and because those quarterbacks, three of them are going to go in the top five. I I virtually guarantee that. And four may, you know, Bryce Young, Anthony Richardson. Um, CJ Stroud are going to go in the top five, and that Levis kid from Kentucky, he 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 may go in the top five as well. So when the Lions, who aren't looking to take a quarterback that five that high at six, you know, they're not looking to take a QB there. So that doesn't really break their heart. All it does is push these, possibly push these high end defensive players. Will Anderson, Jalen Carter, people like that, it pushes them down the board farther towards six. So all this stuff that's happening, you know, for a draft Nick like me, this is just really exciting. And, you know, it's a great time of year. And it's just like, you know, we were talking about the tractor, you know, me and my tractor purchase last, last podcast. The fun, you know, 90% of the fun in buying a tractor is shopping for it. 90% of the fun of the NFL draft are the days leading up to the NFL draft (laughs) with all the possibilities and all the, you know, the different, like this year, there's already been a lot of movement. There'll likely be more. Well, the frenzy that happens. Yeah, it's it's just that part's exciting yeah. Like if if Richardson oh, goes to Carolina, that will launch a quarterback frenzy. Yeah. If yeah. they pick a QB number one, yep. everyone else is gonna go, oh fuck, a QB's off the board. We gotta take a QB. Well, you and know that's it... when shit starts going crazy. Oh yeah. And and again, you know, which if you're sitting in a seat like the Lions, which we want defense anyway, and I really yeah, do like, believe. Pick it, guys. We'd love to be able to trade back and still be confident. Exactly. 
Exactly. So there's, you know, it's just endless possibilities. And again, if, if people aren't into it, I get it. Cause I, I mean, I feel geeky about it at times, but it's uh it's a guilty pleasure. <laughs> and I it's just, fun. It, I love seeing the families. Like, like I don't, yeah. I don't care for all the bling and all the horse shit that comes along with the draft. But the idea of the excitement in the draft room and then the general or the genuine reactions between someone who's excited to be drafted or someone who maybe fell and finally got drafted and the reaction between them and their families, like that's a cool moment to watch. Yeah. Yeah, it is. It is. And, and again, when you're in, you know, for years and years and years, the NFL draft is a Detroit Lions fan Super Bowl. You know, that's that's our our day of optimism. Yeah, I, I, well, you know, because we've sucked for, for so long, you're exactly. you're hoping for a new stud to watch. Yes, and you know, but with this, we've talked about it before. With this new regime, I am just really impressed with what they've done because. They didn't go break the bank and pay somebody too much money. Well, did you they hear? They didn't do that. They made reasonable deals with good players who you and I have talked about it before. I think they're looking about looking at players as much that fit into their culture to what they're trying to build. So they want those guys. And when they talk to people and, and, you know, and they get a feel for the kind of person they are. I think that carries a lot of weight with this regime. And if you looked at what they're doing, both last year and this year in free agency, which is they're not being frugal, but they're not going nuts. This is how teams like the Ravens conduct business, like the Steelers conduct business. And then, like the Ravens did last year, when you think you're close, and had Lamar Jackson played the whole year, they might have been a lot closer. Then you go out and you make a trade for Roquan Smith, and you pay, and then sign him to an extension. I don't think we're the Lions are one piece away, but when they get to that point, they'll do something like that. Because to me, this is how those teams that I really have a lot of respect for teams that do business like the Steelers, the Steelers don't overpay for people. The, the Ravens really don't either. They've had some big deals that they sign, but even the stuff with Lamar now, it's like the Ravens are saying, hey, man, if you can do better, go ahead, and uh, if another team wants to sign you for money we can't pay you, they give us two round draft, two first-round picks. You, you, thanks a lot. We'll see you. And I think that's how you kind of got to be. Belichick, as cold as he is, he's like that too. Like he'll even trade a player that's approaching a contract year that he knows is going to be out of their league as far as the open market on what they can pay. And he'll trade them. Because he knows, you know, a year from now, he's going to be someplace else and we got nothing. And I just, you know, that's, Cold-hearted, I guess, but it's a business side that it looks like to me that the Lions are doing, and that's that's impressive. Well, to me. rebuilding the culture to me is like the my 
favorite thing or the thing I've taken the most enjoyment out about what they've done with this whole rebuild. And and I don't know if you um, got to hear Campbell talk about it, but they, you know, they interview all the people for the upcoming draft, all the prospects, right? Right. Or, or the ones they're interested in. Yep. And he had mentioned, I, I don't know how many players, but a, a plethora of players had been interviewed by the Detroit Lions. And they just said, out of everyone we've interviewed, three of them have the it factor that we're looking for. Yeah. I like that, though. Me too. Yeah, I, I know if they get taken, that's, you know, you, you know, your odds of getting someone you wanted are, are obviously much smaller. But if you know exactly what you're looking for, not only do you have a better chance of getting it, but you also know what you're willing and not willing to settle for if those people could take it. And and so I, I think you don't end up with that cancer in the locker room because you don't draft a guy because, oh, well, he's the best guy available on the board right now. You know, he might be, but he doesn't fit in my locker room, so I'd rather take this guy or try and trade my pick. No, I, I, I'm with you, and I, and I like the approach too, and I like the philosophy. I was talking with Alan about it yesterday, and it's like, we're getting, in fact, we were texting into the night last night because of this Montgomery signing, which we both liked. I mean, nobody wants to see Jamal Williams go, but to me, and maybe I'm wrong, but to me, that just sent a signal that there, the Lions and Jamal Williams are far apart on a contract, on a new contract. They might be. I just, I really wonder if they're, you, we talk about that it, it factor and the grittiness of the lines. I, I wonder if they're tired of Swift and him being the best thing that's on the field, but he's only on the field 20% of the time. <laughs> and, I, and I wonder if they go, okay, but we were one injury away last year from not having a starting running back. Yep. And, well, and so I wonder if they went out and got him and they go, you know what, we're going to push you we're we're going to put you right under pressure this year and if you buckle you're the guy we thought you were and if you kick ass then w- Williams will be out next year that, that's my that's wishful thinking on my end no. because I like Williams personality in the Lions organization but I I wonder if this is a pressure move to say hey we got a young guy who's willing to get after it and if he get a- if he gets after it like we think he does I don't give a shit how flashy you are you can get out I'm I'm of the opinion, and 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 I think you're right, Jared. I do. You you very well could be right about. I hope I don't want to lose Jamal Williams. You, you know, I don't want to lose. He's a good guy. You know, he fits our team, and I don't want to lose him. And you could be right, but when, like I said, when Alan and I were talking about it, and we were talking about it into the night last night, we're not there yet. The Lions. But you've heard the expression best player available. Yeah. If we keep building this the way they're building it now, I don't know, man. Next year, we might be best player available. I don't care if he's an O tackle, and we have two pretty good ones. If he's by far and away our best player where we pick, we can take him. When you get to be good, and the Steelers have done it, the Niners have done it, you know, 
when you build a team like right now, the Chiefs, you can take the best player available, you know, and it doesn't matter if you've got two running backs that are good. If your top rated player is a running back, you take him. And see, that to me is where I think you. That that best player available, I think, is what puts us into the instant gratification era that you were talking about earlier. It's like a, if we're in the position to where we can take the best player available, let's go get a QB that we might not normally reach for and let's groom him and give yep, him time absolutely. to be mentored. That's what I'm saying. You you are, You put yourself in a spot where, you know, everybody says there's two great linemen offensive linemen that are above everybody else in this year's draft. There's a guard out of Florida, and guards usually don't go in the top 10. But this guy could. He's that good, supposedly. And there's a tackle out of Northwestern. Well, at six, I don't think we're taking either one of those guys. But at 18, we might take that guard. And I would not? I'm not... I'm not pissed about that. I I think we've many teams have proven you build in the trenches, you're solid in the trenches on both sides of the ball. That's a solid way to do business. They always say build from the inside out, not the outside in. And and this goes along with that theory. Well, and the you're, Lions, you're right. We could do Lions, that, and he wouldn't, and the quarterback wouldn't have to play this year. You know, yeah, we and those, do that. but I mean, even with the like that lineman, like you're talking about, it's like the uh, how much better were the Lions last year than than they've been, and and other recent history. And it's like, okay, but let's also look at because our offensive line is better because we're building a foundation, which starts with the offensive line. It we're able to run the ball, right? And our our run percentage, our run to pass percentage, I bet. I would be willing to bet. I don't have the numbers in front of me, but I bet it is astronomically different than what it was in the Stafford era. And you, I think Stafford is a hell of a QB. Yeah. But we couldn't run the ball to save our fucking life. Well, and and not only that, but like you said, yards per carry, the whole running game from top to bottom is better. With a good old line. You can run play action because everyone yes. knows that there's a dual threat here. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like, that's but, huge. but again, if you can put yourself, because I remember the Steelers and I, they come into my mind because they've done this. I mean, they were good. They were a playoff team for years and years and years. And okay, you're going to remember this guy I know, Keith Miller, the tight end. Love right? him. Me too. Well, Heath Miller, nobody thought he... The Steelers were picking like in the 20s, I think, that year. And then all of a sudden, Heath Miller's still there when the Steelers picked. Steelers picked Heath Miller. They already had a couple tight ends, but he was their best-ranked player, and he went on to have a great career. He's I mean, one of the guy. most stable, yes. consistent tight Like, a, a, I don't know if he was better or as good... Uh, I would probably say not quite as good, but I mean, like Todd Heap, I remember that. Like, oh yeah, yeah, just, just the type of tight end who's like he's going to be solid. He's going to be here. You throw it, he'll catch it. But like a true tight end, he can also block. And who did that? The Ravens. So yep. those are <laughs> the teams of. I, I mean, those teams come to mind when I think about like the Steelers. 
I'm not going to know the numbers, but I want to say in something like 40-some years, the Steelers have had three coaches. Chuck Knoll, Bill Cower, Mike Tomlin. In, I don't know what the number is. If you can look it up quick, that'd be great. But I, I think it's in the 40s. They've had three coaches since the 60s. I want to say 1968 or 69 when Chuck Knoll started. It was right around 1970, and I think just prior to that. So that's, if that's true, that's 52 years with three coaches. Just the Lions that have three coaches and since five coaches in three years. Since what? 1969, Chuck Knoll, Bill Cower, Mike Tomlin. Yep. That stability. How long has John Harbaugh been in Baltimore? I'll have to look that up. I think he's no, I I, I mean it was it was rhetorical, but I'm just saying that's stability. When a guy's stayed and whether 15. you like whether you like Kurt Ferens or not at Iowa, and I mean his offense can be pretty milk toast, but guess what? They're always playing for something at the end of the year. And they always do a little bit better than I thought they'd do. And he's been there in like 20-some years. It's like that stability means a lot. Well, and we watched that happen with uh, uh, U of M. Yes. It's like as soon as we lost Carr and yep. it, and our stability went away from the long-term coaches, we fucking jumbled back and forth and sucked for more than a decade. It was bad. It was that was hard to take, but you know, good teams again, and we're not there yet. I think we have promise of of being a good team, and I'm talking about the Lions. But we're getting to that point where, when, like they signed, they re-signed John Kaminsky yesterday. Okay, I love that guy. He's a role player. He's a rotational starter. He can play inside D-tackle. He can play outside D-end, and he's not going to hurt you. And guess what? He brings it every play. That's Which how you build depth on a team. You need a lot. few playmakers to be in there. Like, it would be great to have a lockdown corner. I didn't want Jalen Ramsey. He's too much. He's a great corner. But he's too much of a locker room lawyer. I don't want that guy. He's right. all about me. And I don't want that guy. But the, even Anzalone, and I'm not the biggest fan in the world of Anzalone. I think we could, I think we could get a better playmaker there. But guess what? If we draft somebody like Jack Campbell this year, who I really like, he doesn't have to play this year. He can play special teams and go in on certain packages. Because Enzalone is a decent player. He had his best year. I just think we can, you know, I think Aiden Hutchinson's a playmaker. I think this Houston kid's a playmaker. You know, the the DN that had so many sacks and played half the season. You know, there are guys on that team that are playmakers. and But we need more of those. And when you're in that spot where you can draft a guy and like you said you don't have to throw him to the wolves he can sit and watch and learn um you know even like jameson williams did that this year 
he only got in towards the very end. We didn't even see what he can do yet. I think we showed, we saw flashes of what it might be. And man, I liked the flashes. But right. We, he didn't have to play. I mean, he did not have, so we could draft an injured guy that we thought was ultra talented. And when you get in that spot, I just think that's real smart. Well, I but, just like where the Lions are at right now because me too. obviously we're we're building and, and we would yep. love to become a perennial winner instead of a perennial loser. Right. But the difference to me last year, especially towards the end of the season, um, but but last year in general for you know, on average, I guess, for the whole season, we changed from a team that we became dangerous instead of mundane, but we changed from a team that could, you know, bite you late. So, so the Lions for years, and we've seen this, and it, it unfortunately just normally just fucked our draft picks, but because <laughs> we had already lost so many games, there's no playoff chance or anything like that. But the Lions are a team, or were a team, that you keep letting them hang around and they might snake it from you in the fourth quarter. And and it seemed like we had done that, but now we have already become that team. That's like, if you don't show up strapped up, you're going to get fucked up. Like it's, I mean, they'll steamroll you. It's like, if you come unprepared, they will run your ass over. Now I'm not saying they're up at the top of the league for the best, but at the end of the season, they were the most dangerous, and I don't think people wanted them in the playoffs. Oh, no. I, I agree with you. I totally agree with you. Nobody wanted to play the Lions at the end of the year. You know, when they were, you know, on their all but the egg they laid in Carolina, which I still don't understand that. <laughs> but, and I'm not going to get over it. <laughs> but they went to New Jersey, and I mean, they beat the shit out of the Giants. They handled them in their place. I think that shows Campbell's personality coming you through. You betcha. Team. And then the the Giants make the playoffs, go to Minnesota, and beat the Vikings. So it's like, and the Lions also beat the Vikings and should have beaten them twice. So again, it's just, I'm with you, and I, I feel good about it. But... We've done a lot of football. Yes, and we I'm, have. <laughs> we, and I'm sure it happens. It's a spiral. I'm sure we've lost people, and I don't want to lose anymore. We had uh, agreed last week that we were going to talk about one of my all-time favorite movies this week. And the movie is a 1997 Jack Nicholson movie, and it's called As Good As It Gets. And for those who haven't seen it, shame on you for those who haven't seen it in a while i i've watched it obviously way more than once and it's always entertaining to me here's the short summary melvin udall jack nicholson is an obsessive compulsive writer of romantic fiction who's rude to everyone he meets including his gay neighbor simon played by greg kinnear But when he has to look after Simon's dog, he begins to soften. And if still not completely over his problems, he finds he can conduct a relationship 
with the only waitress, Helen Hunt, at the local diner who will serve him. I mean, there's so many parts of this movie that are... It's one of those... It's like a car accident. (laughs) I want to look, but I'm afraid to. And it's like, it's almost painful to watch. But it's so entertaining. I mean, he is so OCD. He is so OCD. And he's (laughs) rude. I mean... He he insults every. He goes to this diner like every day, and she is the only waitress that'll wait on him. And he brings his silverware and a napkin in a Ziploc bag. He brings yeah. plastic <laughs> silverware, and he's rude to everybody. Like when he's waiting, you know, there's no place to sit in her section. He's waiting, and he starts insulting the people that are sitting in their section because it looks like they're done. (laughs) You know, you about done? You know, he's trying to get them out of there so he can sit down. He has no regard for his fellow man. Greg Kinnear as the gay neighbor is fantastic. I thought Cuba Gooding Jr. was great in that movie. He was Greg Kinnear's agent, I think. Um. Because uh, Greg Kinnear's an artist, you know. But, um, I mean, there's so many, you know, exchanges in that movie that are just priceless. I, you've referenced one, and please reference it again, because I have a couple in mind, and I want to see if you, if these are on your mind, too. Well, um, the, the, the please one is relate. Just- relay the one that you mentioned before and 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 any others some of them approach someone approaches him at you know because he's a famous author and they're like how do you write women so well he goes i think of a man and i take away reason and accountability (laughs) (laughs) his his sarcasm is what makes the line his banter with helen hunt because she is a waitress that has seen all the walks of life and her 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 uh disdain for rude people mixed with his OCD and his disdain for just people of all Everybody. kinds it, they they really clash and they build it but he I don't know the whole quote but one of my favorite ones is when he talks about taking his pills and he says something where he's supposed to take these pills every day for his health and he doesn't but once he met her he started taking those pills and she's like how is this a compliment he goes you make me want to be a better man that's a great line it's just so good that's uh, that's you know and again when they're out on this date and he has to have a tie to get in the restaurant (laughs) the maitre d offers him a tie and he's like no he goes you need a tie and a jacket to be seated because they're in baltimore to visit greg Kinnear's parents so in jack nicholson's words he can get another handful of sweaty money (laughs) because greg Kinnear gets beat up he gets uh, mugged in his own apartment and you know by a model and the model's friends 
and he gets the shit kicked out of him, and he's, you know, and that's how Jack Nicholson ends up taking care of his little dog, this Brussels Griffin, who I'm not Verdell, a big fan. Right? Yeah, Verdell. I'm not a big fan of ankle biters, but that dog is adorable in that movie. But well, in the scene he, with the bacon and all that. Oh, yeah. And, it, it, and it's like there's so many priceless scenes. He does something like uh, Helen Hunt's uh, son is he has lots of allergies and asthma and stuff, and it's a constant struggle for her because she's got, you know, the kind of insurance she can afford, which basically means you take the kid has an attack, you take him to the ER, and then, you know, she says you get whatever 10-year-old just became a doctor. And so they don't know anything. Well, Jack Nicholson hears about this, and he hears in his publisher is married to a doctor so he makes arrangements to send that doctor to make a house call to helen hunt's apartment to visit her son and you know that's how good of an author he is at writing these romantic novels and so this guy does that and her son you know gets better and she can't believe that he's done this for her. And by the way, he paid for all of it. He just said, you know, and don't, when the doctor came to her house, he said, and don't worry about the expense. He goes, uh, Mr. Udall has asked to be billed. So he's paying for everything. Well, after she comes to the realization that this is really happening, she gets out in the rain and goes to thank him. And she's like soaked. She's got no umbrella. She's at his door. He peeks through and he sees her just shivering and shaking all wet. She opens up the door or he opens up the door and she's talking to him and she's like, you know, I just don't know how to thank you and saying all these wonderful things to him. And he's, you know, doesn't know how to deal with it. I don't think he had started taking the pills yet. (laughs) <laughs> and, and but he's been like, so rude he doesn't know how to receive a compliment yeah and she's going but i'm not gonna sleep with you and he says something to the effect of, like well it's after um 8 p.m and we don't do the no love odes after 8 p.m <laughs> it, it, it's those aren't the exact words then the exchange with um, um, Simon, the gay neighbor's maid, when Simon's in the hospital and he's taking care of the dog, and Simon comes home and the maid stops by his house and she's she's a short, chubby lady and she speaks with an accent, and <laughs> she she says that you know. If you think of it, can you water his plants like every other day? Because, I mean, he's Simon's broke. I mean, the hospital bills killed him and, you know, financially, and he hasn't sold any artwork in a while. And she's like, and can you go in and open the curtains so he can see the what the sun brings on the next beautiful day or something like that? It's a really nice thing. I mean, the lady's super nice. And he responds with something like, 
<laughs> I don't want to hear your story that you heard in some sailor want a hump hump bar. <laughs> We're all so good up. though, because oh his character God. is like so like he finds oh it so grotesque. God. I'm not kidding you, dude. I, I honestly, you know, I can't I've thought about this a lot. I would struggle a lot less in creating my top 10 quarterbacks or my top 10 running backs or anything like that than I would with naming my top 10 movies because there are so many that are of different genres that are just so good. And But I really do believe, I'd struggle a lot with that. I really do believe this that this movie would be... If I sat down and made that list, this movie yeah. would be in my top ten. It has to be. I mean, the the banter in this movie is phenomenal, and I was great. I was thinking of the other quotes that I like, and and um, Helen Hunt is kind of in a pissy mood when they're in the diner. Oh yeah, and she's saying something to him, and he goes, "Don't be pessimistic. It's not your style." Yeah. And it's just like you're <laughs> such a dick. And then they're having later in the movie, they're having like a great moment where he's being sweet and Helen Hunt is shocked that he's not being an ass. And he asks her like what she's thinking, and she goes, I'm I'm so afraid you're about to say something awful. <laughs> it's just like because he probably is. Yeah, it's so <laughs> she true. can't help it. He just can't help it. You know, oh, it, it's okay. like when the when the cops are investigating the the criminal act that happened against the gay neighbor against Simon, and they come by his apartment, and you could tell he's pissed that they even stopped. And the cops, you know, can tell he's acting pissed, so the cops are kind of short with him and he just i mean he lashes out at those and one of the last things he says as he's slamming the door is like go find yourself a stale wiener (laughs) (laughs) just i mean the writing well uh (laughs) helen hunt who's carol in the movie she she has one where the scene where the people aren't willing or they're not finished. The the one you were talking about at the diner where the people are still eating and they're in the section he sits in. And I was looking it up because I knew she said something in that scene. And uh, she goes, it's not your table. Behave. This once you can sit at someone else's station. And he's just having a fit. I mean, the back and forth. Because... Uh, she's a great actress, no doubt. She There's is. a lot of great actors, actresses in that movie. but But with... Jack Nicholson, you you truly believe in the anxiety that his oh, yeah. OCD causes. Like I mean, like he oh, yeah. makes you feel it in that moment. So even though he's being rude and she's like, you can sit somewhere else, you you can tell that he can't process it. Like that's not allowed to happen. It doesn't right. that does not work for him. And it's not like you know, don't pass go. It's like, no, this does not happen. 
Like, you know, and, with, I mean, he does things with the doorknobs and with the washing his hands and all. Yeah. I mean, it's yeah. so bad. So, the bars of soap in the bathroom. Yeah. He like uses three bars of the, soap. The like quadruple every... folded bacon bag that he keeps yes. for the dog. Like, every time he washes his hands, he uses three different bars of soap. It's just the, the, the craziest thing about it to me is, or one of the craziest things, you and I have talked about this with other movies and other actors. He is Melvin Udall. He's not Jack Nicholson in that movie. He yes. is he is this guy that is severely wrecked with OCD amongst other amongst narcissism and other things. But he has got this dude's got issues, man. Like when he goes it, towards the end of the movie, almost at the end, he goes to her apartment and waits for her to come out and call she eventually comes out and it's you know three in the morning and they go for a walk <laughs> and as they're walking on, down the sidewalk he's avoiding all the cracks yeah <laughs> in the in the brick pavers and it's like you, you gotta be careful man yeah it looks <laughs> like he's like trying to do hopscotch <laughs> yeah and it, and it but he's trying for her not to notice that he's avoiding all the cracks. I mean, this, that is again, to me, you feel that from him. I mean, he is that good in that movie and the writing is exceptional in that movie. Um, when Cuba Gooding, when, the, when, you know, the attack happens on Greg Kinnear and Cuba Gooding is talking to him about, you know, taking care of the dog. And yes. or at least watching him for a few days. And I mean, Cuba Gooding like gets in his face big time because, you know, he's all gruff and everything and trying to slam the door on him. And he's like, look, don't push me. <laughs> I grew up in hell. <laughs> and it's like and he's threatening him, you know, and, he, and Nicholson like backs off. He really backs off. Well, then later on, when the cops show up and they're like. He doesn't want them there either. And they're showing up to ask him what he saw or whatever. And he's trying to get rid of them. That's what he says to them. He repeats what Cuba Gooding said to him. He goes, look, I grew up in hell. Don't push me. I was looking, I was looking up the best quotes from the movie and I had forgotten this one when Jack Nicholson goes, I'm drowning here and you're describing water. I love that line. <laughs> I love that line. I that mean, was, yes, so that's good. a classic. Yeah. When he's, he, he's gone out with, or gone out with Helen Hunt, it's, or going out or something and it's proven to be a disaster and he just, you know, he does, he's all worried about it and it's like he starts <laughs> bitching to greg kinnear about it who, who they've the three of them made this trip to baltimore together and jack nicholson volunteered like rented a car a convertible no he borrowed kuba gooding's convertible that's right and you know and he had all this music planned for the trip and all this well he's like like you said he's bitching to greg kinnear about how bad he messed up and then, then he, and he says, that I'm drowning here and you're describing the water. <laughs> Fantastic movie. Just, what, a, just a great one. What really separates that movie than just other, you know, good banter, smart ass movies for me is 
you talked about like how Jack Nicholson as an actor, it's like he, he has this identity. Like you don't think of him as Jack Nicholson. It's just this character that's in the movie because he's such a chameleon. And one of the things that separates that movie for me is that he is so symptomatic with his OCD and so believable that you can totally it's one of those rare movies where you can totally see how even though he's such an ass and such a dick that people keep giving him chances because you're sympathetic because it's debilitating and so it makes him the person he is so you sit there and you go why would someone just keep eating shit off this guy but in this scenario you're like man i just wish he could help himself from being such an ass like like you, you start to feel so sympathetic for him, even though he's the aggressor. We, we've, I'm, I may be looking at the same website as you, but I just pulled it up. The quotes, don't be pessimistic. Yeah. It's not your style. The, another great one that I don't think we mentioned, you're a disgrace to depression. Yeah. <laughs> That's fantastic. You, you make me want to be a better man. What okay, and you're gonna remember this when he says, What if this is as good as it gets? Yep. I like the uh people who talk in metaphors out of shampoo, shampoo. my crotch. <laughs> <laughs> now that's a Jack Nicholson line right there. <laughs> well, and when he finally says the thing that he says, you make me want to be a better man, and she's so overwhelmed, he goes. Well, maybe I overshot a little because I was aiming it just enough to keep you from walking out. <laughs> yeah. No, it's, oh, it's a good my... movie. It really oh, is. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> Okay, here's a long one. But again, this one's, they're all so good. Never, never interrupt me, okay? Not if there's a fire. Not even if you hear the sound of a thud from my home and a week later there's a smell coming from there that only can be a decaying human body. And you have to hold a hanky to your face because the stench is so thick that you think you're going to faint. Even then, don't come knocking. <laughs> he's so, just good. He's so angry. It's No, I, I mean, I, do, I don't know. I'm just... Uh, every time... That's one of those movies that as I page through the TV guide, you know, the on-screen guide, and I see that movie is on, nine times out of ten, I'll at least click on it for a few minutes and see which part of the movie it's in. You know, and if there's one of those great scenes. I mean, I just, um, I just so recommend that. And again... Even if it's one that you've seen, it's a 1997 movie. And even if you, um, even if it's one that you've seen, seeing it again is not a bad thing. I'm just, uh, you know, uh, that that is that's gotta be, that's gotta be one of my favorites. It really does. That's that's just gotta be one of my my favorites of all time. And I just highly recommend it. Now, okay, here's here's a real quick. We we didn't really rehearse an above or below fifty this week, so I'm springing this on you. But this one's really simple. Okay, so here's the statement: 
I'll have a tractor by the 4th of July, above or below 50, and why? Mm. <laughs> no comment? I'm just, I'm thinking, I'm thinking. You don't have a pole barn, you gotta have a place to put it, so that means the bike's gotta go. The bikes might not be gone. So that, to me, would say below 50 just because there's a chance, but because mom's on board, you obviously got the money for it, and you're hot to trot, done your research. I I, I gotta say, I'm going above, and I'm going... 65%. Um, I think there's a chance that storage might limit you to after the 4th of July. But I have already sold one of my bikes, which means one of the bikes in your garage is coming up here. Yep. Um, And potentially two if we can get the other one running. So there's, um, I mean, there's a good chance that your your basement's already vacated and and I know we're actually looking to sell another one of mine so with it getting posted if it gets sold before July that I, I don't see anything stopping you so I would say at least 65 um and the off chance that the bikes aren't moved then that that would be the only scenario in which I don't see you having a tractor by then that's fair that's all fair i my guess is 75 and because, okay, I want to get the, you know, make more storage room. But I think I figured out how I can do that. Now, I come wintertime, I'm going to need a couple bikes out of here for sure. But I think I've, here's, and here's the only reason. You're going to try and like go under the deck or what? Oh, no. I mean, I can. Like, I figured out a way that I can put, like, the the quad and the mower in the shed. And then I can put the mule on one side of the garage, and I still have room for the big red bike in front of it. And then I can park the tractor in the garage. But it's got to be warm enough to get the deck furniture out of the shed because that's where it all is. And I'm I only surprised you haven't bought a double wide shed by now. The only, well, I've, that's a whole different, you know, internal argument with myself <laughs> about that. Yeah. That's pole barn, two car garage. Those are all, you know, maybes in the future, but I only, I say it's only 75 only for this reason is that it still comes down to the fact that it's a lot of money. And I still hate spending it. <laughs> you know, um, that's... The, I think know. you'll get past that. I, 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 I really I, do I think, think it's the storage. It, like, yeah. once that spot's empty, I don't think you'll be able to resist yeah. buying it. Yeah. Oh, and, that, we'll, and, and that, to me, is one of those things where, like, if you didn't buy it this year, but you had two bikes down in the basement... I could see, like, you know, the the storage mixed with the financial decision stopping you. But if those bikes get cleaned out, like, now, 
there's no way you go all summer without <laughs> buying that tractor. There's oh, no that, way. That's fair. That's fair. That's fair. Yeah, I've been, you know, hot to drive forever. But again, that's, but that's good. It's like the draft, it's part of the, a lot of the fun is the research and the, you know, the angst over the decision isn't, but you know, that's just, that's. Yeah. But then me. you'll be figuring out what to do with it next. That'll be oh, the next yeah. section of research, you know? Oh yeah. yeah. Tilling a and little I, garden. All dude, kinds I've of already stuff. picked out attachments and oh yeah, <laughs> it's, it, it's, we're way down the road there at any rate that. Yeah. And that was just a quick personal above or below 50 and thanks. I, but I'm, I'm in the same ballpark as you, but. You know, it sounds again. like you're more confident than I am, so that's good. A little bit, a little bit. I mean, I the storage thing is not a deal breaker to me. I want, I want to have it. You know, I want some of the stuff out of here, but it's not a. It isn't going to kill me if it doesn't happen. No, if it didn't, if I did buy the tractor and like that wasn't done by fall, then I'd be scrambling because then I got, I got to figure out a different alternative. But that's neither here nor there. I wanted to tell you a a, a story, another dollar store story that happened okay. to me. Okay. <clears throat> You've been in our dollar store, right? I mean, it's like all the other ones. It's like, I, I think yeah. it's called Dollar General, you know, and they're they're all over the place. I was in there, and I used to be 6'2". I think now I'm probably 6'1". Time has taken its toll. But when I wear my work boots, which I wear most of the time because they're my most comfortable shoes. I'm, I'm, people think I'm six, three or more, you know. So I'm in the dollar store and there's these two people and I'm, you know, I'm 67. Most of the time I don't feel 67. I don't even think about being 67. I might have been older than both of these people I saw, and I think they were husband and wife. I did not know them. They were strangers to me. I don't think either one of them was above, like, 5'3". <laughs> yeah. And I think that they were, like I said, I, I may be older than them. I, shit, I went to the doctor the other day. <laughs> And it's like, you know, you got to, or no, it was at the pharmacy and I'm there, you know, and you got to give your birth date, you know, and I give my birthday and like, and so I'm waiting while other people are picking up their stuff and I'm waiting for them to find mine. And there's another register working and I hear, hear two people go up and they say their birthday and they're younger than me. And it's like, man, I'd have never thought you were younger than me. I must really look old. <laughs> but anyway, I'm at the dollar store this day, and there's these two people. I don't think either I, she was shorter than him, and if she was five foot, that was all. I mean, they weren't little people, but they were very short. And they were looking at something on the back row that was up on the top. <laughs> and they were, and he was like trying to figure out how to, it was like a basket or something that was up on the top shelf. And 
being, I just was being nice, you know? And I go, do you want me to get that for you? And the guy like looked at me and he just glared at me. He goes, I've been clavin shells my whole life. I can get it like really kind of hateful. Yeah. Fuck know? that guy. And the woman said, what are you saying? We're short. And I'm like, I go, not at all. And I just walked away. So then we, you know, naturally when I go to check out they're, I'm they're right ahead of me and they both started talking to me. And it's like, I appreciate you doing that. I go, man, I wasn't, I was offering to help you, but what, how weird is that? It makes you wonder, like, did they just have a super shitty sense of humor and they thought they were being funny and it came across as insanely rude? Well, because I can't imagine, I can't imagine being that rude. I mean, like, and I mean, you and I obviously are different people, we respond different ways, but it's like if someone did that to me, I'd have been like, hey, look, man, if it's up here, I'll grab it for you. If I dropped something, I'd hope you fucking grabbed it for me, dick. I just, You're a lot closer to the floor. Fuck I, off. Honestly, like, I don't like that shit. Honestly, Jared, it like floored me. It, it just, and I didn't get pissed. I just thought, man, what the hell did I do? I mean, I, I was offering to help. Now, clearly, in the five minutes it took for us to both get in the checkout line, they had licked their wounds, whatever they were. And, you know, they were friendly in that and talking to me and, you know, but I just, that response just. Well, that friendliness, that's the odd part for me. Cause like typically someone who's a shit like that, they're going to be bitter for the rest of the day. And so that's why it's like, does their humor just really suck? And, and then they're like, oh, I, I don't think he got it. Like we got it. And then they tried to be like nice and check out. Because that, that, it's so off to me that someone who's a big enough asshole to make you feel bad for trying to help them would then be polite. Yeah. I, I just, Tom Segura talks about this in one of his acts. And he's like, I was, I was this, floored. He's like, this guy with, with like no arms comes up and I open the door for him. He's like, I don't need you to open the door. He goes, all right, and closes it. He's like, have fun biting on the knob, dum-dum. It's like, yeah, uh, why be an ass? And he had to say biting on the knob. Yeah. <laughs> God. I no, mean. I, okay, and I'm not going to name names here, but you're going to know who I'm talking about. My boss was a really small guy, like a really small guy, like maybe 5'6", five, 5'7", five, and I bet he didn't weigh 135 pounds soaking wet. I mean, he, he, you know who I'm talking about, right? Yes. Okay, so we're in a staff meeting, and this was, God, 15 years ago. And, you know, you, you got to see some of those staff meetings. It's like, I'm at one end, he's at the other end. And it was always that way, at, of the table. There was no official seating chart, but that's always how it was, you know. And he's telling me a story, or telling the group, Again, it's a staff meeting. There's 10 people in there. And he's telling the group a story about this lady that he was having to deal with at one of the townships. And she was, and he talked about her being a former Marine. 
she was great big. And he goes, and she could even kick your ass and point it at me. And I'm sitting at the other <laughs> end of the table. I haven't said a freaking word. And he says that to me. And I just start <laughs> chuckling <laughs> like that. You know? Yeah. And he goes, why are you laughing? I'm not kidding. And I go, I'm laughing because if she could kick my ass, what could she do to you? <laughs> yeah. I want to see this behemoth. <laughs> yeah. It's like, dude, I, I mean, what? I don't know, man. I mean, uh, I, there's so many times and, and we're not, you know, we talked about that. I mean, we're, we're bigger than average, but we're not like circus freak big. No. I mean, if you're over six feet, you're bigger than average. If you're, well over 200 pounds, which all of us are, you and your yeah. brothers and me. Let's add, a, let's add another one. <laughs> well, yeah, but you know what I'm saying. It's like we're, we're not, you know, we're not, I mean, I, Jacob's, but pe people have thought that I played in the NFL before. I mean, I'm that big. I'm not that muscular, but I'm that big. I know Jacob's people knew and i'm sure people have said that with you who did you i remember i was someplace with you i think we were visiting my dad and one of the people in the place said man do you play for the lions he said that to you so i mean but we're not like seven footers or anything but we're bigger than average and but i'm not kidding you dude i am so grateful about that i'm so grateful it's, and well, you People Joe's not six feet, standard. Joe's not six feet, but he's he's a big guy, you know. But anyway, I I walked over you there. What did you? No, say? no, no. It, it people use you as a standard. That's what I always found funny about it. It's like, and again, I'm very thankful I don't have to duck my head to get through a doorway. Right. But there are definitely some doorways that are not wide enough. <laughs> like, oh, I you know, it. like that's just one of those things. But like. People, you know, I'm, I don't know, 6'2", just under 300 pounds. And it's like being at that size, whenever anyone talks about someone, it's like, and they're bigger than you. Like, you're like the standard <laughs> yeah. now. Yeah. And it's like, yeah. Yeah. well, there's two things here. One, what are you trying to say? <laughs> but two... Uh -huh. I bet if he stood next to me, you wouldn't think that either. <laughs> and well, that's that's kind of what you know. I I joke with Melissa about because I t I'll tell her she's so tiny. You know, when she stands next to me, it's like she could fit inside my jacket. And uh, and I tease her and I go, "I'm not that big. It's just the whole world's really small." <laughs> no, and that's kind of what it is. It's like. When people use you as the standard, it's funny. And obviously, there's certain things that are convenient about being larger. There's some, a lot of things that are inconvenient getting that's true. in a car. Yeah, but, that's true. Um, but it, it's just kind of funny to me because, like, every everyone uses you as a standard. But it's like, yeah, but the guys who are bigger than me are much bigger than me. But ninety yeah. percent of the populace is smaller. That's just what it happens to be. Like, but, and, and going along with what you said, and going back to the dollar store, it's like there are times when that place is so well stocked, 
I mean, if I walk down one of the aisles, I'll tear shit off of both sides if I'm not careful. Just because there's not enough room. <laughs> or, or, you know, if there's like one of those stocking carts is sitting out there, you know, in the aisle and I got to kind of squeeze by it. Oh, I'm damn sure going to take something with me. You know, <laughs> it's, I can only get so thin. <laughs> Even when I inhale and suck everything in, I can only get so thin. But when I was in the store the other day, and I don't, I'd never seen this guy. I don't know if he is local or not. I mean, he was a legit seven footer. Now that's a tall man. Yeah. And he was yeah. super thin, super thin, but he was legit seven feet. I mean, when you see guys that big, it, cause even at, six one six two whatever it is we're not looking up at the world all the time we're just not many times we're looking level most of the time we're looking at an angle downward right and when you see somebody like that it's like Holy when someone's a head taller than you yeah it's like what in the fuck yeah how's the air up a, there that's a big person you duck under <laughs> power lines jesus <laughs> But yeah, you know, and maybe you, that's the difference. Maybe that's what you know, five foot five to five foot six guys think, you know, about maybe. us when they look up and you're a whole head taller. Maybe right. like, boy, is it a different world up there? Because yeah. I, I think that yeah. whenever somebody's a head taller, it's like, my god, yeah, yeah, I know, I know. How far and, back does your car seat go? And I told you the story. I mean, I met this guy through work and he, you know, I was, we were trying to work together on a project and he had played at Michigan and he had backed up Jumbo Elliott. Like he played in 14 games in four years because Jumbo Elliott was an all American. He played in the NFL for years. Jumbo Elliott was like six, seven, like three thirty when guys weren't six, seven and three thirty. you know? Now you see a lot of guys like that in the league, but he, 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 Jumbo Elliott was a big, big man. And this guy was six, eight. I don't know how much he weighed, but he was not fat. And like, he had a Rose bowl ring. And I mean, he was legit. He bowl recruited him and he had played at Michigan, but he was Jumbo Elliott's backup. And he said he played in a total of 14 games in four years. I stood next to that guy. I felt like a peanut and I don't <laughs> feel like that very often. No. And I mean, that guy, no, this dude literally had to turn sideways to walk through a standard door opening. I mean, yeah, that's his a shoulders man. were, Oh yeah. And again, he's a guy who didn't even start. <laughs> well, what, what I was watching, like the, you sent it to me like a, a comedy reel between the offensive linemen for the Detroit Lions. Yes. And it's like, Frank Ragnow is a big man, but when he stands yeah. next to Taylor Decker, he's not a big man. Taylor Decker's an <laughs> ox. Yeah, it's <laughs> like, Jesus. I mean, you you look at Frank, Frank Ragnow, and that's like a, a oh, yeah. big dude. He's way up in the percentage size-wise. But like, oh, yeah. then you look at Taylor Decker, and it's like, my God. But Again, now again, you know the boss I'm talking about, and I yes. I I know him, and we know you know. There's I'm not going to go into the other issues, but I don't. 
I just thought he deserved that. You know, why would he say that? And it's like, you know, and she could, you know, she'll scare you when she gets mad and starts waving her hands. Because you're the bar. You're the thing he's most scared of in the room. Well, and it's like, oh, and she could whip, she could beat your ass. And it's like, what? And then, (laughs) and I'm, I'm chuckling and he's like, you know, why are you laughing? It's like, think if she could beat my ass, think what she'd do to you. It's like. (laughs) <laughs> and you know everybody in the room wants to crack up laughing but they didn't because of who said it you know right yeah they don't want to get in trouble but yeah i don't i don't know the 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 thing with the shirt people again everything all worked out but i was just shocked at their at that response it was almost angry yeah know, that that when is I, when I offered to help but that's all i have one i would ask you this i saw a movie this week and it was the first time i've ever watched the movie all the way through and i'm still thinking about that movie it was so good have you ever seen joker no i haven't jared you need to watch that i mean i'm not kidding you and it's it's a psychological it it's the creation of the Joker character, you know. Right. It's how he got to be him. And Joaquin Phoenix won the Oscar for Best Actor, and he should have. That was. I watched a version that was on TNT, so it it showed everything else, and it used the language, and there wasn't that much bad language. And there, but there was some gory scenes that I'd heard about. Well, on TNT, you didn't see that. You know, they edited a lot. You'd, it was all suggestive. You knew something bad happened. There'd be like a splattering of blood, but you didn't see the guy person laying there with their throat cut open, which I'm right. fine with. But that was an exceptional movie in my mind. And your mom and I both agreed. We, I mean, that movie got you. And... It is, I told you, you know, about the Batman thing. When I was growing up, the the Batman comic was for, kind of for adults, you know, because it was, he was like this brutish character. And then when you, and I loved the Christian Bale Batman movies, all of them. And then when you see, this is the, this is how the Joker got to be the Joker. And I mean, it is psychological as hell man and it's it it grabs you i just thought so if you get a chance i'd love to talk about that if not next week sometime but yeah i'll have to check it out i was totally impressed by that movie i don't think it's one that you know certainly the kids aren't gonna like because no we'll have to find a time where melissa and i can watch it late night after the kids have gone to bed and it's just you know we've talked about this too it's dark i mean it's it it's uh, it's a dark movie right but it's like filmed in that kind of light that so i i do want to talk about that i really do and if you get a chance if not before if not for next podcast sometime in the future i want to talk about that movie because i can tell a movie is good and that was the first time i had seen it all the way through i'd watched just bits and pieces and i've thought about that movie parts in that movie several times um 
and and when I'm that way with a movie, it was real good to me. You know, I, I just thought it was very good. And he was on, I mean, he, he was the Joker and it, you, you get it. You get the Heath Ledger character based on Joaquin Phoenix becoming this Joker character. It's really, I thought it was a great film, but anyway, that that's all I have, buddy. Fair enough. Fair enough. I'll definitely have to check it out. See when, uh, Melissa and I can watch it so we can we can uh, talk about it on one of our next episodes. I just I got to make sure that we have time because we try and watch those movies together. So sounds um, good. But other than that, I'm ready to ready to close up. How about you? I'm good. All right. Sounds good. Well, to all of our listeners out there, we appreciate you sticking along this far. And we know it was a lot of football, but, you know, when we get updates, we get kind of excited about it and ramble on. But we we appreciate you sticking with us and we appreciate all the uh, likes, shares and subscriptions on on all the platforms that we are trying to uh, come across. So to everyone out there, be safe, be smart, make good choices and peace out. Love you, Dad. Love you, too, buddy. Bye bye. Bye.